0: Section 15 of The Flight of the Heron by D. K. Broster. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Eileen. Part 3. Chapter 4. Well, sir, and was your friend able to thank you? inquired Major Guthrie, when the Englishman overtook him at the end of the little column, as it wound along the mountainside. Keith said no, that he had not yet recovered his senses. Tis to be hoped he'll have gotten them again when I send for him," commented the Lowlander. "He'll not be of muckle use else, but are you sure, Major, that he kens where Lochiel is the now? How do I know what he knows, and use of what use do you expect him to be?" asked Keith shortly. "Of what use?" Guthrie reined up. "A losh man, dinna you ken? There's a thousand pounds on Lochiel's head." "'that he's likely skulking somewhere round Achnakeri or Loch Arkig, "'and that to ken his hiding-place "'would be halfway to the apprehension of the man himself. "'Can you come for Inverness? "'You cannot be ignorant of that. "'And why for else did you lay stress "'upon yon rebel being Sib to Lochiel, "'if you did not mean that he would be of use to us in that capacity?' "'Keith sat his horse like a statue "'and stared at the speaker with feelings "'which slowly whitened his own cheek.' Is it possible you imagine that I thought you and Cameron, a Highlander and a gentleman, would turn informer against his own chief? And then for what other reason, retorted Guthrie, when you came with your damned interference, did you insist on his kinship with Lochiel and imply that he can't of his whereabouts? I never implied such a thing, burst out Keith indignantly, and not for a moment. You must most strangely have mistaken me, Major Guthrie. And if Cameron of Ardroy did know, he would never dream of betraying his knowledge. Ah, commented Guthrie, surveying him slowly. Then it's not worth the fat of sending for him the morn. And, smiling crookedly, he touched his horse with his heel, and moved on again after his men. But Keith Wyndham remained behind on the mountain path, almost stunned with disgust that he should be thought capable of suggesting such a reason for sparing Ewan Cameron's life. This, then, was the cause of Major Guthrie's change of intention at the mention of Lochiel's name, the meaning of his reference to the good turn which Major Wyndham had done him. And Keith's impulse was to leave the very path which Guthrie's horse had trodden. But he could not gratify this desire. He was dependent on Guthrie's guidance. And besides, Ardroy lay helpless and utterly alone in the hut. He had not saved him yet. Oh, great heavens! What line was he to take to that end now? He moved on slowly after the lowlander, who took no notice of him. On the narrow path they were obliged to ride in single file, but soon the track, descending to a lower level, joined a wider one, and here the Major waited for him to come abreast. Since your object in hindering the execution, a wild sign, was not sealed for His Majesty's service, as I thought, he observed, you mong give me leave to say, Major, I did not rightly get your name, that I find your conduct unco strange. I am fully prepared to answer to my superiors for my conduct, sir, replied Keith, very stiffly. As I told you just now, I am under an obligation to that young Cameron, such as any soldier may owe to an enemy without dishonor. He spared my life when it was his for the taking, and as his prisoner last year, I received very different treatment from that which we are now giving to ours.' "'Ah, so you were his prisoner,' repeated Guthrie, fixing his little ferret eyes upon him. "'When might that have been?' "'It was after the affair at Highbridge last summer,' replied Keith shortly. "'Highbridge! A light seemed to dawn on Guthrie's face. Not a pleasant light.' "'What? It's you that lost the two companies of Sinclair's there, "'along with Scott, last August. "'You'll be Major Wyndham, then?' "'Wyndham,' corrected Keith, still more shortly. "'Oh, ay, Wyndham. "'To think I did not ken the man I was ganging with. "'Me, that's I been Ettling to meet you, "'for I mind hearing you were put on Hawley's staff after yon Twilsey. "'Ha-ha. <laughs> I mind hearing that very well.' How no offence meant, Major Wyndham, for Keith's expression was distinctly stormy. We all have our military misfortunes, but we dinna all get promoted for them. And you were saying yon rebel made you prisoner. What did he do with you? He accepted my parole, said the Englishman between his teeth. And let you gang? No, I was at his house for some days, and afterwards accompanied him to Glenfinnan. "'How you seem to have been chief with him. "'And where was this house of his, if you please?' "'Can that be of any moment to you, sir?' "'retorted Keith, goaded by this interrogatory. "'Oh, God, I should think so. "'It's of moment to me, to ken how far it lay "'from Lochiel's own house of Aknakeri.' "'Well, that I'm afraid I cannot tell you,' "'replied Keith, sourly. "'I was never at Aknakeri, "'and I've no knowledge of the neighbourhood. "'I'm not a Scotsman,' How oh, fine, I can that. "'But even a southern has lugs to his head, "'and you won't have heard tell the name of the district "'where yon rebel's house was situate. "'If you cannot tell me that, I'll be forced to think.' "'He broke off with a grin. "'And what, pray, will you be forced to think?' "'demanded Keith, surveying him from under his lids. "'How oh, well, I should think you could shall lose that,' "'was Guthrie's reply. Oh, come now, Major.' "'You can surely mind some landmark or other.' "'It was no use fencing any more. "'Mr. Cameron's house was near a little lake "'called the Eagle's Lake, in the mountains some way to the north of Loch Arkeg.' "'Ha! Thank you, Major Wyndham, for the effort,' "'said Guthrie, with another grin. "'I have a map in the camp. "'And sign you could not be parted from your rebel friend, "'but gade with him to Glenfinnan to see the ploy there. "'Do you suppose I went willingly?' I've told you that I was his prisoner. But you were at Glenfinnan with him, and that's a moment, too, for no doubt you'd see him and Lochiel together, did you not? Once or twice? And how did they seem? On intimate terms with one another. I was not concerned to spy upon them, retorted Keith, who had an instant picture of the chief as he had once seen him, with an affectionate hand on Ewan's shoulder, a picture he was not going to pass on. I've told you that they were cousins. Aye, you tellt me that. But ilka Highlander is cousin to twenty more. They rode on for perhaps a moment in silence, and then Guthrie began again. Oh, see here, Major Wyndham, what the devil's the good of telling me the Cameron's this and that and sign when you've hindered me from shooting him as he deserves to begin making out he's nothing of the sort? I suppose you'll say now he was not aide de camp to the pretender's son either. "'I am not in the habit of telling lies,' replied Keith. "'He was aide-de-camp to the pretender's son, "'at least when the Highland Army occupied Edinburgh, "'and that, as I said, and say still, "'is an excellent reason for not shooting him out of hand. "'You met him in Edinburgh, then?' "'I did. "'As an enemy, or a friend?' "'As an enemy, of course.' "'Keith was having to keep a tight hold of himself. "'Yet there again he put me under an obligation.' And, at Guthrie's expression, he was unable to resist adding, But I dare warrant the recognition of an obligation is no part of your creed, sir. Guthrie met this thrust instantly. And me that gleg the now to allow mine to you, fie, Major. But as a plain soldier, I'm thinking there's overmuckle obligation between you and your Cameron. You're gay-friendly with him for an enemy, running in like that, when you micht have gotten a ball in your own wame. But since you assure me he'll not tell what he kens about Lochiel, he maun even bide in yon stealing and rot there, for it's not worth a brass bodle to bring him in. Keith's heart sank at these words, yet he could not bring himself to assert that Ardroy would impart his knowledge if he had any, for he was certain that he would rather die than do such a thing. Yet somehow he must be got out of that desolate place. "'he summoned up all his own powers of dissimulation. "'How oh, you're quite mistaken, Major Guthrie,' he said carelessly. "'I'm not a friend of Mr. Cameron's in the sense that you imply, "'and I should be as glad as anyone to hear of Luchiel's capture, "'if it would advance His Majesty's affairs in this kingdom.' "'He added this qualifying clause to salve his own conscience, "'since Lochiel's capture was about the last he would rejoice at. "'But he had to say something worse than this. And he did it with loathing, and a hesitation which perhaps served him better than he knew, fidgeting, meanwhile, with his horse's reins. "'You know, sir, that, although I'm sure Mr. Cameron would never answer a direct question, he might perhaps drop—inadvertently drop, some hint or other. And I presume you have a certain measure of knowledge, and might find a hint valuable. I mean that it might, by good luck, complete your information.' "'At least, I should think that it would be worth your while "'to bring him into camp on the chance of it.' "'It sounded to him so desperately feeble a bait "'that it was surely to no purpose "'that he had soiled his lips with its utterance. "'Yet Guthrie appeared to respond to the suggestion "'with surprising alacrity. "'A drop a hint,' he said, meditatively, rubbing his chin. "'Aye, maybe. "'Thank you for the notion, Major. "'I'll even think it over.' "'I could ablence drop a hint myself.' "'And they rode on in silence for a few minutes after that, "'Keith not knowing whether he more detested himself "'or the man beside him. "'But by the time that they came in sight of the little river Tarf, "'which they must ford before they could get up to the coriaric Road, "'Major Guthrie was busy weaving what he evidently considered "'a highly diverting explanation of his companion's interest in yon rebel.' "'which he now refused to attribute to the alleged obligation "'under which Major Wyndham professed to labour. "'I see it all,' he chuckled. "'He had a bonny sister, and she was kind to you, Major. "'How oh, kind as yon other lass of a Cameron, "'was kind to the pretender's son. "'Or a wife, maybe. "'How oh, out with it, you sly dog!' "'And for a moment or two he gave rein to a fancy so coarse "'that Keith, no Puritan himself, yet innately fastidious, "'longed to shut his mouth. "'And that's how you repaid his hospitality, Major,' "'finished the humorist, as they splashed through the tarf. "'And tis a guilty conscience, not gratitude. "'Guard you save him.' "'After that he reverted to the subject of his companion's staff appointment, "'which seemed to possess a sort of fascination for him, "'and tapped a very galling and indeed insulting vein of pleasantry in regard to it. "'And Keith!' "'who would not have endured a quarter of this insolence "'from anyone else in the world. "'No, not from the Duke of Cumberland himself. "'Swallowed it, because he knew that Ewan Cameron's life "'hung on this man's pleasure. First of all, his companion supposed that General Hawley "'did not know what a viper he was cherishing in his bosom, "'in the shape of an officer who possessed a weakness for rebels, "'which could certainly not be attributed to that commander himself. "'Of this, Keith took no notice,' So Major Guthrie passed on to effect to find something mightily amusing, in the distinction of staff rank having been bestowed on a man who had run away at the first shot of the campaign. He actually used the expression, but at once safeguarded himself by adding, with a laugh, "'No offence, my dear Major. I ken well the two companies of Sinclair's just spat and gived over, and you and Scott could do no less with gang with them. "'Twas your duty.' But, after a moment, he added with a chuckle, for, by, you've run further than the rest, I've heard. Ardroy or no Ardroy, this was too much. Keith reined up. Yet, since it seemed deliberate provocation, he kept surprisingly cool. Major Guthrie, I'd have you know I do not take such insinuations from any man alive. If you know so much about me, you must know also that Captain Scott sent me back to fetch reinforcements from Fort Augustus. Guthrie, pulling up too, smote himself upon the thigh. <laughs> Aye, I make the kent it. Oh, forgive me, Major Wyndham, Yon was a pleasantry. I, I like it my joke. Allow me to say, then, that I do not share your taste, riposted Keith, with a brow like thunder. If we were not both on active service at the moment. Oh, you'd gar me draw, hey. I dinner be that hot, man. It was an ill joke, I confess, and I ask your pardon for it said Guthrie, with complete good humor. See, yonder's the camp, and you're going to sup with me. Keith wished with all his heart that he were not. But he felt, rightly or wrongly, that he must preserve a certain measure of amenity in his relations with the arbiter of Ardroy's fate, and, though it seemed to him that he had never done anything more repugnant, except make his recent speech about the possibility of Ewan's dropping a hint, He affected a demeanour modelled in some remote degree upon his companions, and insincerely declared that he was foolish not to see that Major Guthrie was joking, and that he bore him no ill-will for his death. What baffled him was the reason for the ill-will which he could hardly doubt that Guthrie bore him. Was it because he had hindered the shooting of a rebel? But, according to his own showing, Major Guthrie hoped to find the rebel more useful alive than dead. It was certainly no deprivation to the Englishman when he discovered, on arriving at Guthrie's camp athwart the road, some miles from the top of the pass, that he was not to share the commanding officer's tent. Finding, as he now did, that the distance from the mountainside where he had come upon the soldiers was not so great as he had feared, he would much have preferred to push on over the pass to Miaulgarva, but his horse and his orderlies were too obviously in need of rest for this to be prudent, and when he was offered a vacant bed in another tent, for it appeared that the captain of the company had gone to Fort Augustus for the night. His worst apprehensions were relieved. The lieutenant, indeed, who made a third at the meal which he was nevertheless obliged to share with Guthrie, was of a different stamp entirely, an open-faced lad from the Tweed, named Patton, whom Keith at once suspected of disliking his major very heartily, on the plea that he must make an early start. The guest afterwards excused himself from playing cards with Guthrie and his subaltern, and withdrew to Lieutenant Patton's tent. Once there, however, he made no attempt to undress, but flung himself on the camp-bed, and lay staring at the lantern on the tent-pole. A few miles away, on the other side of the tarf, the man whom he had tried so hard to save lay dying, perhaps for want of food and care. What Guthrie's real intentions were about fetching him in tomorrow, he, probably of set purpose, had not allowed his visitor to know. The question, rather, was, would you and Cameron be alive at all in the morning? He seemed at so low an ebb, and the nights were still so cold. Do what Keith would, he could not get him out of his head. It was useless to tell himself that he had, alas, witnessed worse episodes, that it was the fortune of war that he was womanish to be so much distracted by the thought of an enemy's situation. He had been that enemy's guest. He had seen his domestic circumstances, met his future wife, knew what his very furniture looked like. Was not all that even more of a tie than that double debt which he felt he owed him? His instincts were stronger than his judgment, and when, an hour or so later, Lieutenant Patton slipped quietly through the flap of the tent, he rose up and abruptly addressed him. "'Mr. Patton, you look as if you had the natural sentiments of humanity still left in you. "'Can you tell me where I could procure some food, and, if possible, some dressings, "'for that unfortunate rebel left alone upon the mountainside, "'for that unfortunate rebel left alone upon the mountainside, "'about whom you heard at supper?' "'The young man looked considerably taken aback, as well he might. "'But how would you propose, sir, to get them to him?' "'And the Major, I thought, spoke of fetching him into camp to-morrow.' "'I am not at all sure that he will, however,' replied Keith. "'And even if he does, I fear he may fetch in a corpse. "'If I can get some food and wine, I propose to take them to him myself. "'I think I can find the way back without difficulty, and my orderly is a Highlander.' "'And, as Lieutenant Patton looked still more astonished,' he added, "'you must not think me a mere philanthropist, Mr. Patton.' I owe the man in that hut a good deal, and I cannot endure the thought of having turned my back upon him in such a plight. In any case, I should be making an early start for Dalwini. Is there any cottage in this neighborhood where I could buy bread? No, but I could procure you some in the camp, sir, said the boy quite eagerly. And as for dressings, you're welcome to tear up a shirt of mine. I I confess I don't like these extreme measures, even with rebels, and I should be very glad to help you. You'll not get into trouble, eh? Not tonight, at any rate, sir. The major is in bed by now. And tomorrow, if it is discovered, I can say that you ordered me to do it, and that I dared not dispute the orders of a staff officer. End of section 15.